right, boys, bust down. Well, welcome to episode two of Nope Country, the recently renamed podcast that was once No Country. It's Nope Country now. Nope. It's a, nope. It's the land of Nope. Nope Menistan. That's the name of my feminist matriarchy. Is Toby Keith performing there too? Uh, no, men are not allowed. Sadly, we think that they're too easily excited. They can't go to concerts. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Toby Keith did seem like he had a pretty exciting concert recently. Indeed, <laughs> so very much so. That's what we're going to talk about uh, today. Uh, it'll be a two-parter. This week, we're going to talk about country music as propaganda. And then next week, I thought we could talk about uh, how country music stars are reacting to this political moment, deciding to come out one way or another on the events of the day. But first, the news. Casey Musgraves has announced that she's told The Boot that she won't rush her third album. So I mentioned that only because I know that you're probably looking forward to it. I am looking forward to the third Casey Musgraves album. I would not wish her to rush it, certainly. It's been two years since her last one. Has it? If you can believe that. I was wondering if, you know, given that uh, you don't want her to rush it, do you have any, like, hopes or or dreams about what her new album will look like? Do you want more of the same, or do you think that it's going to, you would like her to explore new directions? I don't know why you would fuck with a good thing. I thought her second album was different enough from her first album while still maintaining the themes that we have come to love Casey Musgraves for. So, yeah, I would, I always want her to be more political than she is. I think she holds back some, even though her songs are political, and I think she is reticent to admit that in the popular media, which is too bad. But for reasons that we will get into later in the podcast, it can be commercially unviable to espouse unpopular political opinions in country music. I still want her to do it anyway. That would be my only hope, is that she gets a little little sassier on the third record. And further Texan news, this is all we're going to talk about, is Texas artists okay. forever. Here. Sounds good. Uh, Willie Nelson spoke with Rolling Stone Country recently, and they asked him about Jeff Sessions' remarks that marijuana was about as dangerous as heroin. So Willie asked if Jeff Sessions has tried them both. <laughs> <laughs> I love Willie Nelson so much. <laughs> if he'd be like qualified to make that, that judgment. <laughs> so they asked him also, because he sells those Willie Nelson for President t-shirts uh-huh. and bumper stickers, if he was ever going to run. In fact, in last July, Green Rush Daily, which is the voice of the cannabis revolution, had a... a... Is, there a, is that, that begs the question, doesn't it? <laughs> it's got a voice. <laughs> It's got a voice, so it must be there. They, they flatly declared, Willie Nelson may be running for president. The music-making activist's merchandise shop has recently added several Willie for president items to their inventory. The music-making activist. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that is an accurate description of Willie Nelson. You're doubting the voice of the cannabis revolution? I am. Do you think that Willie would be a good candidate? No, because he's old as fuck. That's probably enough. That's the only... He wouldn't. He would never get on the Supreme Court, because Rolling Stone asked him about whether he was going to run. He says he came close a couple times, because people kept asking him, and then I sobered up, he said. Yeah, he thinks that you can do more with music than you can with arguments and politics. He thinks a song will reach more people than any other thing. But I don't know. I think the affective power of pop culture is not something to be ignored. I think it depends on what you're trying to do. Get elected? No, I don't think singing a song is probably relevant. But pop culture is how we create meaning in our lives and with our people. And storytelling in particular, which songs do, affect the way we think about things. Okay, and the big news, the big news of the week is Toby Keith's performance in Riyadh. 
coinciding with Donald Trump's trip out there, his first big international visit. What a coincidence! Can you imagine? Like, it's weird, here right? you have scheduled your country music performance for an all male audience in Saudi Arabia, and then you find out Donald Trump is going to show up. What are the odds? What are the odds? So we'll talk about how the performance went later. I mean, the, basically, there have only been a couple things written about it so far, and, and no American press that I've seen. But ahead of time, everybody was, was jumping on this. Uh, the greatest punishment the U.S. could inflict on the Middle <laughs> East. Toby Keith. <laughs> Toby Keith's performance. <laughs> But I wanted to start by talking about the you know, the introduction of country music into politics. Mm-hmm. And there was a Joe Hawley column in the Houston Chronicle in January. It was around the first big Toby Keith, Donald Trump performance around the inauguration. And he drew the connection to Pappy O'Daniel back mm. in the 30s. Good old the, Pappy! The Texas governor. Pass the biscuits! So he, you know, he was the character in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The politician who capitalized on country music to portray himself as a regular... To country. do what Willie Nelson says is impossible. He'd never run for public office. He'd never even voted. And yet he ran for governor in 1938. The bar is low for white men, Patrick. <laughs> it's just like, if we didn't learn that lesson in 38, <laughs> maybe we learned it in 2016. So he, actually, Bob Wills was in his first band. He was The dancehall king of Texas? At the very same. The band was the Light Crust Doughboys. Uh, <laughs> And it was named for the flour mill where mm-hmm. uh, where Pappy worked. So he's like the first big example, of, you know, that's out there of uh, a politician resting his cred on country music. Mm-hmm. There are some other fun examples. Kid Rock, if you're gonna <laughs> can put him in this category at all, somehow, a politician. Somehow Mitt Romney used Kid Rock <laughs> in his campaign events because Michigan, I guess. Ross Perot used uh, Patsy Cline's "Crazy," sure, because he people thought he was. Crazy? Uh, crazy to be running, I guess. Okay. Uh, George... That's not what that song is about, though. No, it's not. <laughs> Very tenuous grasp no. sometimes yeah, on no, like, no. what the song okay. is about. Right. George H.W. Bush used This Land by Woody Guthrie. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm sure Woody was totally into that. Oh, yeah. yeah it really <laughs> That's has really in line with, with his George politics. George H.W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. So I wanted to open this conversation by asking, do you think that pop country today has the power to give a politician the same kind of normal folk? cred that it could have in the 30s or even in like the 90s because I'm, I'm thinking that like sam hunt is not going to like endear you to uh, rust belt voters like, <laughs> like, like rust i don't know like coal miners i think it's more that like if you didn't have anybody behind you if you didn't have a toby keith behind you it would be weird yeah like i think that would be a notable absence for a conservative politician in particular, right? We we know that, like, Bruce Springsteen is always going to be for the Democrat, but, like, I think a Republican needs a country music artist. I think that that's an important, again, like, a, an important affective part of winning hearts and minds is boiling down the tenets of your policy to something that is palatable and twangy and catchy, such as... A song, right? And it's going to be about the soldiers and America. And that's important. I think people... That's why music exists. Like, we have music so that we can experience together communally emotions that are difficult to articulate just with, like, prose. All right. So the song that you've brought is maybe the the most often used (laughs) song in politics. Indeed. Yes. Tell me Uh, about that one, Andrea. It's God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. Oh, right. It's lovely. It's atrocious. (laughs) I went down the, the Google hole on this thing. I'm not talking about God Bless America. I'm talking about God Bless the USA. 
it's the one about being proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free, da 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 Probably Patrick will now play a clip of the song. <laughs> the, 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 the faint strings have just been building here as we were talking. Right. And I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died who gave that right to me. And I gladly So, uh, Lee Greenwood released this song in 1984, and he wrote it as a response to the shooting down of Korean Air 007, which I had never heard about literally until I googled like the history of this song. So in 1980, like one or two, there was a Korean air flight going from America to Korea and they flew, the commercial airline flight flew into Russian airspace at the same time that, according to Russia, the U.S. was doing like recon, like spy recon into Russian airspace. So they like couldn't tell if it was a commercial airline or if it was a military aircraft. So they shot the plane down. I had never heard of this thing. And apparently it's like one of the top tensest moments of the Cold War. And so Lee Greenwood was like, I I feel like we need a song to unite us as Americans. Mm-hmm. Again, this question of like, what does this music do? It unites people. It makes them feel a cultural affinity with each other in moments of crisis. So it does that, but like as a memorial to that event, it does a pretty bad job because... Oh yeah, no, there's nothing in it <laughs> There's nothing, it's not like yeah. the lost third verse about the morning, the, <laughs> right, the downed airplane. So that whole thing is fascinating because like the plane flew into Russian airspace. Like that's not disputed. Russia, no, we shouldn't obviously like attack civilians or that in theory... In games of war, we don't attack civilians. But, like, if somebody had done that to America, like, you bet your ass we would have shot them the fuck down. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's this, like, self-righteous, sassy response to, like, this this deep wrong that was done to America. But, like, somebody fucked up in that they sent this commercial airliner into disputed Russian airspace. That is a bad thing to, like, you don't do that when you're in the middle of a nuclear war with people, It's a cause and effect thing that would have, it's pretty predictable. Yeah. Ronald Reagan used God Bless the USA in his campaign, in his first campaign, and it pops up periodically when America is in times of crisis. So it was popular during the Reagan, the first Reagan campaign, and then it got popular during the Gulf War, the first Gulf War. Then it got popular after 9-11 and during the Iraq War. And then after Bin Laden was killed by SEAL Team 6, uh, Beyonce recorded a version of God Bless the USA. And then she recorded it again. She did a live performance of it at the Statue of Liberty in 2011. And then now, like in recent years, it's become more popular in general as we kind of ramp up again the... Republican-led war on terrorism and attacks in the Middle East, Um, and Lee Greenwood himself performed at Donald Trump's inauguration in January. So this is a 30... I mean, the song's as old as I am. It's a 33-year-old song that specifically pops up in times of either, like, military crisis or in times of military strength, displays of military strength by the U.S. So as bad as things might get, 
at least we know that on the upside, we get a resurgence of God bless the USA to look forward to. Yes. So so yeah, so the song is pretty bad, although it is super catchy, and I find it affectively very compelling. Mm -hmm. Like, when I hear it, like, I feel proud to be an American, Mm -hmm. um, even though... I am, like, pretty minimally proud to be an American, considering all of the fucked up shit that we do. He does um, sing about Texas in it. He does. He shouts out not only Texas in general, but Houston specifically. Really? Which is interesting. From Detroit to Houston, from New York to L.A. I first heard it during the first Gulf War, when I was, like, in kindergarten or first grade, when I had a friend that was my favorite playmate. She was, like, super into it, and we would, she would, like, choreograph elaborate dances to God Bless the USA, and we would do it in her house. It's a slow song. It's, I, I never would have thought of it as, like, a, a big dance hit. Well, I mean, it wasn't, like, EDM shit. But like, <laughs> you know, it had moves. Okay. <laughs> it was a lot of standing and saluting, really. Yeah, it's really just standing and saluting and sitting back down. So, I thought that God Bless the USA was an interesting song to talk about in the context of our reading for this week, which talks about the ways in which country music is used to propagandize American military shenanigans, because there is something very specific, it seems, about country music that compels people toward this sappy, saccharine nationalism, and that's exactly what God Bless the USA is, and it persists through decades. Okay, so the reading that we picked out is by a guy named Andrew Bolton. Uh, it's a 2008 article from Popular Music and Society called The Popular Geopolitical Worlds of Post-9-11 Country Music. He talks Riveting. about... <laughs> getting fired up already. Woo! I'll tell you how I found it. I did a Google Scholar search for Toby Keith. <laughs> <laughs> what else did that turn up? Uh, this one's cited a lot, and then and like a lot of Toby Keith lyrics, okay. because those are somehow... Right. Some college library has a bunch of Toby Keith lyrics somewhere. But, I mean, Toby Keith is like, if you're going to talk about post-9-11 music, Mm -hmm. tops, you know. And and so his Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue, Angry American uh, 9-11 response song. Is that the boot in your ass? That's the boot in your ass song. That one and uh, God Bless the USA, I think, are like the the top two enduring Uh like American strength songs that are out there. So, I mean, the thing that struck me about the article was he was talking about how in the like the post 9-11 moment in the way that country music is always setting up this this us versus them dynamic that it, like the them became an international enemy instead of within liberal elites versus country boys yeah like it's always about you know country people identifying themselves against you know the elites somewhere else but now it's it's about an enemy somewhere abroad and also that other thing about like the weak need well and and the um the the, the weak need yellow-bellied Hollywood types that are just as bad as the Taliban. That's the thing. Is the, the equivalency right? that it sets up Is that up it's there. an equivalency and a like a um like a proxy. Yeah, it's a proxy between the yellow-bellied Hollywood types and the Taliban. That if you're not for us, you're against us. Totally. So yeah, I mean the three post 9/11 songs that I think of the most, the ones that were written after 9/11. There's Alan Jackson's "Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning." Uh-huh. There's Daryl Worley's "Have You Forgotten," and then there's Toby Keith's "Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue." Mm-hmm. So Alan Jackson uh, was the first, and his came out in November. November 
7th. Wasted no time. Really, like right away. And he debuted on the, at the CMAs. He was going to sing his like big hit at the time was uh, I'm From the Country, which is one of these about like, I'm from the country and you're not. Uh-huh. Uh, instead, he sang this song and he had just written about like unity and everyone uh-huh. coming together in the moment. And Daryl Worley sort of took it to the next moment of, you know, after we've all come together and we're, we're sad about it. He's starting to like argue for going to war. They say we don't realize the mess we're getting in. Before you start to preaching, let me ask you this, my friend. Have you forgotten how it felt that day to see your homeland under And he's particularly complaining about the experts. Experts are the worst. Let's be real. It is the worst to know about a lot of stuff. Alan Jackson is sort of high-level poetic about the things that happened. And... That's the first time Alan Jackson has ever been described as high-level poetic. Just, <laughs> just for history, it's happened on May 21st, 2017 at 6.13. But compared to Daryl Worley, he's talking about people saying we don't need this war. He says some people say we're just looking for a fight. After 9-11, I'd have to say that's right. Well... Uh, so, so what how Bolton, could an expert argue with that? So Bolton say like that's sort of the point is that uh, he, he and he ties it to this thing of like country music being like fundamentally Jacksonian, like Andrew Jackson, this free floating. Let's just uh, let's just get out and like, <laughs> tear this shit up and and see see what happens because uh-huh. I, I gotta you know and like the suspicion of experts as well, mm-hmm. which anti intellectualism is pervasive, I believe, throughout this particular genre. <laughs> That's fair to say. Okay, and then so Toby Keith's song is the one that like comes next, and it's about taking action and like boy, did we really put light your ass, ass up. Yeah. yeah. As soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye, man, we lit up your world. I didn't realize, because I wasn't watching Fox News when this happened, but when we dropped the mother of all bombs in Afghanistan, uh-huh. like in April, Fox News played that Toby Keith song again, like as the soundtrack to watching the bomb fall. This is the, this is the sound of American strength now. I think if Lee Greenwood is like the enduring sound of unity. Right. Uh, and then for everyone else, they get Toby Keith's boot. I guess, the so there's a tension between proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free, da 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 like, can't we all agree that here we are in this great country, and if you're not with me, you're against me in this great country, that I think ties into some of the conservative rhetoric around protest and the First Amendment that, like, we all have to be here together. It's so important to present a united front and fuck you, liberals, you fucking shitbags who are trying to talk down to me. And, like, those two things are so in tension and in opposition and mutually exclusive. Like, do you do you want, Mr. Country Boy, for us all to be united? Or do you want to yell at the liberals that you think are oppressing you? Because you can't claim that we all need to be united and be like, oh no, fuck you liberals, you cannot speak against me. Uh-huh. Like, the intellectual disconnect there like just mm-hmm. does not work. Can't we just stop arguing and go to war? Like- <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was, I was also going to mention that uh, there were no songs of American unity written in country music after Osama bin Laden was killed. So it's interesting you brought up Beyonce recording Lee Greenwood's song, because yeah. like... 
the the response from Nashville was she was like basically like I wanted to do something and I felt like I should do something to mark this moment for American unity and her response was to record that song I mean like and Daryl Worley like sings about getting weirdly like he doesn't talk about getting Bin Laden he says he, the ones behind Bin Laden mm-hmm. which I guess gives like a lot of leeway to George Bush to like <laughs> get some <laughs> you of don't want guys, to give Obama you know. too much credit there <laughs> right. <laughs> But after all this talking about like getting our revenge and like and taking the fight to Bin Laden, you know, like when it actually happens, like uh, you know, yeah. we're, we're like on to Whatever. other things. You know. So all right, so I wanted to get your thoughts on propaganda in country music today. Are we still at a time when like we're just singing, we're singing about the same stuff? It's like the post nine eleven sentiments are like as relevant. Or does Toby Keith's song to hear it sixteen years later that they're still playing it? Does that mean something different now? Like, is it taking on a new meaning? Because I feel like to play it now it's all wrapped up in Donald Trump's campaign as well you know even though it's not it wasn't about anything that Donald Trump ever did I think it's worth noting that there are not new songs being written in the vein of shock and y'all album type stuff because we got what we needed post 9-11 like we got like we filled up our cultural bullshit tank and we're just gonna keep draining that thing like until those songs are boring and we need a new crop of songs, right? Like, I don't, I, like, I think Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue serves its purpose as well today as it did when he wrote it. So I think it says something that we, all we needed was three songs to play over and over again on Fox News while we bomb people. Like, that's, we just needed a new soundtrack and now we have that new soundtrack. I think that currently, the culture wars have returned to being an internal domestic situation. Obviously, that's the only thing the media wants to talk about with Trump, right, is like, who are the white people who voted for them? Aren't they so oppressed? Let's go talk about their economic anxiety and try to understand them. I think cultivating that internal strife right now is a more important and effective piece of propaganda for the Republican Party than outward-facing anti-Taliban shit. Yeah, that's because that's what got Trump elected. Yes. Yeah. Well, also the Russian hackers and the um, and the election and the voter suppression. But yes. Yeah, uh, Toby Keith, also not a Republican, apparently, Indeed. right? right. He's a, he was like... He's, he's not a political man. He doesn't know the difference between oh, Iraq and Iran. Well, now that's Alan Jackson, mm. who watches CNN. Sorry, okay. I wonder if... Toby Keith watches CNN. I think Toby Keith watches paint dry with a six pack. <laughs> he talks about just no politician is the person he wants to be president. He's just, he just wants an outsider. Yeah, but see, that's bullshit though. Like that, yeah. that is a political statement. That is a political stance. When you don't take a stand against oppression, you are taking a stand in favor of oppressors, which is the problem with libertarianism in general and independent politics in general as well. Like, that's... He can say that, but, like, that is a pro-Republican, pro-conservative, pro-right-wing statement. If you're saying, like, I don't want to get involved, I think it would be interesting if we had an outsider, da-da-da-da-da, what you're doing is deferring to the dominant party, which in this case is the Republicans. Well, I want to talk about what you think that he's saying by this performance that he just made in Saudi Arabia, and I wanted to read... I think he's saying he'd like to make some money, please. Yeah. <laughs> How much do you think he got paid? There are those 
like stories of it's like Mariah Carey would do like she'd get flown to perform for like some horrible dictator, you know, at, like a birthday party for a kid and make like oh yeah, this it was the royal family right of Saudi Arabia that that put the whole thing together. Yeah, it's not their that the article that you shared made a note that it wasn't their entertainment ministry; it was the royal family. Mm-hmm. So there's no telling how much fucking money it was. Like I don't. <sighs> He wanted to make money, he wants to sell his song, and he's super into this fucking faux unity thing. Okay, I get. I, I don't want to slander Toby Keith, but, like, I'm pretty sure he's as racist as the next white American dude. And I'm sure he saw that concert as an act of, like, cultural benevolence, where isn't he the best nice man for going and sharing his art with these poor, oppressed dudes... Because he, I mean, he didn't even want to talk about the fact that women weren't allowed into the venue mm-hmm. and can't go to shows in general. And that there haven't been any concerts in Saudi Arabia for 10 years. Like, then he gets to come in as the white savior who it's like, well, I can't tell them how to do their gender segregation, but I can at least give them this music. Because the state-owned newspaper in uh, in UAE, they cornered him on a question of what do you think about not having any women allowed at the concert? And he just says, I just wanted to make history. You know, it's the same thing as I just wanted to be there to support my president. Mm-hmm. Dodging the entire thing. Do you think we're going to see more of Toby Keith uh, performing for Donald Trump? Is he going to be... The, the, is he... Is, is Toby Keith Donald Trump's doughboy? <laughs> <laughs> the the jester king of the White House, uh-huh. Toby Keith. I mean, to the extent that anybody gives a shit, I guess. I mean, I think at this point, like, Toby Keith performing for and with Donald Trump is pretty low on the concerns of the country when it comes to what is Donald Trump up to these days. Nice. All right. Well. <laughs> Okay, so that's that's all for this week. Yay, thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a Facebook page. Uh, you can like us at Nope Country Podcast. And find us on iTunes and subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks, guys.